Uh, why don't you take your Bibles uh, with me and uh, open up to the final section of the book of Daniel. We've made it. Uh, it's hard to believe that we're finally at the end of the, the book of, of Daniel, uh, but I can truly say that it's been an incredible blessing to study through uh, the book of, of Daniel together, and it's going to be hard to say goodbye to the book of Daniel. Uh, we'll probably return uh, to this book uh, to pull together some of what we've learned uh, in an overview, a final overview, and I might do a message on uh, just what Daniel teaches us about the end times, uh, but other than that, uh, this is it for the book of Daniel. And as we come to this last section in the book, in uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 5 to 13, Daniel still has a lot of questions. Uh, he's just been told in verse 1 uh, that the nation of Israel will face a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And he wants to know more. He wants to know what will it look like uh, what are the results of this time going to be? He's looking for more details. Can you be more specific? Down in verse 8, he asked the question, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And not only that, we even have an angel who appears with Daniel in this vision who is asking his own set of questions. If you look at verse 6 of chapter 12, it says, And one said to the man dressed in linen who is above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? I mean, can you please be more specific? And then by the time you get to the end of the chapter, it's like the, uh, the end of one of those uh, press conferences at the White House, you know, when the, the reporters are still raising their hands and shouting out all kinds of questions at once, but the press secretary has already left the podium. Verse 13, it says, but as for you, go your way to the end, like we're done here, the meeting's adjourned. You're not getting any more information today. Daniel, it's over. And if we're honest, that's a pretty difficult position for us to be in. Because we don't like to be left without the details. We like the particulars. We want to know what's going to happen. And especially when we're thinking about difficulties and trials. And this is what Daniel is contemplating. He's contemplating the most serious, difficult time that Israel will ever experience, but he's not going to be able to get the details about it. He's been mourning over this for three weeks. He's been praying, he's been asking God, but God says, I'm not going to give you any more details. What, what you have is enough. And I'm not sure where you find yourself today, but you might yourself find, your say, find yourself in the midst of a, a very difficult trial in your life. You know, some some personal tribulation in your life, some difficulty, and you're wanting to know, can I get more details? I mean, can you please be more specific, God, about what I'm going to go through? Like, Lord, I'd like to know some more specifics. If you or someone you love has just been diagnosed with cancer or some other disease, you don't have all the answers. You might want more answers, you might want more details, but you don't have all the answers. And even if they tell you that they do, the medical community doesn't have all the answers either. You can do your research, you can ask your questions, you can hear the testimonies of others, but they can't tell you specifically for you what's going to happen to you. They don't know that. They don't know. You're left without the details. If you've been rustling through the, the night watches for an unsaved loved one, whether that's a child or a spouse or a parent, or a grandparent, or a sibling, or a close friend, or a grandchild. You've been wrestling with that. 
I can't tell you how that prayer is going to be answered for you. I, I don't have those kinds of answers. Maybe you're in a position where you find yourself being attacked. You're being slandered. You're being falsely accused. Proverbs 25, 18 says, Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. Psalm 57, verse 4 says, My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. And you just don't know when is it going to end. What's going to be the outcome of these things? How will this affect me? Is this going to affect my livelihood? I mean, what's going to be the end of this? I can't give you those details. Or maybe you just carry a burden for the people of God, for the church, for the people of God, who are distracted by temptation, discouraged by oppression, frustrated by their work, persecuted by the enemy, and you just want to know, can I just know a little bit more about what's going to happen? I mean, a little bit on the future would really help out here. When will it end? How will it end? What is my end? (laughs) What am I supposed to do with all of this? I mean, those are the kinds of questions that Daniel ends this book with. And Daniel doesn't receive the full details on that either. He doesn't receive all the details that he wants, but he does receive the revelation that he needs. And that's what we're going to take a look at in Daniel chapter 12, starting at verse 4. Verse 4, I'll start at verse 4, Daniel chapter 12. It says, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven. And swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And uh, Father, we're so grateful for the revelation that we've received in this book. Father, for all that you've taught us and for the way that you've illumined our minds to understand these things. And Father, I pray that as we come to the end of this book, Lord, that you would continue to help us, Lord, that we would profit from this word. Father, there's something that's here for us that's meant for our reproof and correction and understanding, our training and righteousness. Father, we thank you for all of your word. All of your word is rich And Father, we've been so immensely blessed already. And Father, I pray that even today, Lord, that you would bless and prosper your people and that you would use me as a weak instrument, Lord, to be a blessing to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When will it end? How will it end? And what is my end? Those are the three questions 
that we'll work through in this passage, and they're all tied to Daniel's concern for his people, the chosen people, the nation of Israel. Daniel's been praying about Israel, expressed his concern over them through prayer and fasting back in chapter 10. He received an answer through a vision that was given to him. And in this vision, he was told that the nation would be distressed. There would be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. That's the the same period of time that Jesus refers to as the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 and 21, he says, For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And the first question regarding this period of time is when will it end? When will it end? And no doubt that was a question that Daniel had, but he didn't have the time to ask it because somebody beat him to the punch. And we're introduced to this other inquirer in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two other, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. We have to remind ourselves that this was all part of a single vision. started way back in chapter 10, and we're told in chapter 10, that Daniel received this vision near a river. In chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. That's the river that he's referring to. It's the river that he's standing at when he receives this vision. And at this point in the vision, Daniel realizes that there are two others who are standing on either side of the river. In addition to the, the angel with human appearance who is beside Daniel, There are two more visitors who appear in this vision on either side of the river, one on this bank and the other on that bank. And we're really not told much about these figures, but we do know that they're angels uh, because how else are they going to appear in a vision and interact with the one above the waters? And we'll get to that in a minute. So we know that these are angels, but these angels have been eavesdropping on the revelation that was being given to Daniel. And they have a great interest in what's going on in the world of men. According to, uh, to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, angels are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. And in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, uh, learn, we learn that the, the grace of God has re- been revealed to us, but there are things that the angels even long to look into. The angels are, are very concerned about the salvation that belongs to us. So we have these, these angels that, that show an interest in what's going on in the world of men. What happens in our salvation is exciting enough for angels to want a front row seat so that they can look in on our salvation. And then so much of us, so many of us, we have this salvation and we're underwhelmed with it. We've got angels that are like sitting on the edge of their seat to get a view of what we have and then we possess it and then we walk around looking at the world wanting the, you know, the, 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 the pottage of the world. It's like, do you understand what you have in your salvation? (laughs) There's nothing that's more exciting on this planet than the salvation of God's people. It's the the most exciting thing happening on this side. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, it says, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. I mean, they throw a party for one of us who crosses the line. And here are the angels on the the edge of their seats as they're watching God's plan unfold. And one of these two angels, like, he can't hold it back anymore. He's got to ask a question. In verse 6, it says, And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? 
So, so now we're introduced to, to someone else who's in this vision. There's somebody who's hovering over the waters. And who is this? Who, who is this person who's dressed in white linen that the angels are seeking information from? The last time we saw someone dressed in white linen, it was back in chapter 10 and verse 5. If you want to flip back there real quick, chapter 10 and verse 5, we've covered this already. But there was one that Daniel had to lift his eyes above the river in order to see. Look at chapter 10 and verse 5. It says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and his feet were like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. And when we studied that passage before, we identified this appearance as a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Because this is the same description that we find in the book of Revelation. If you want to flip over to Revelation real quick, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1. Very similar description of a figure, much like what we find in the book of Daniel. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 10 where we find John, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud sound, voice like the sound of a trumpet, and he sang, write in a book what ye see, and sent it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were like white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And we do know who that is, don't we? <laughs> we do know who that is. And here we have the same figure that's appearing, hovering over the water, and the angels are seeking answers from him. The angels look up to him, and they seek information from him. And this is the one who possesses knowledge that the angels don't have. Second person of the Trinity possesses all knowledge, equally with the Father and with the Spirit. And we understand that during the Incarnation, uh, that Jesus withheld these things, this knowledge from himself and his human nature, but in his pre-incarnate state, there were no limitations to his knowledge. And here he shows up in infinite knowledge, hovering over the waters, dressed in the linens of impeccable purity. And the question is, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? And it seems like a strange way to put the question. How long till the end of these wonders? I mean, we're, we're talking about the, the most destructive time in human history for the Jewish people and you call it wonders? Seems like a strange thing to say. Why would a time of distress be described as a time of wonder? It's because the angels have an understanding of history that we don't often have. Because even in the distresses and hardships and turmoil and tribulation of life, God is still working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. God is still doing his wonders. He's still working wonders, even in the midst of this time. And at the same time that the Antichrist is doing his worst, 
The Lord is powerfully and wonderfully at work. And as we saw the last time, that God will be busy guarding, preserving, rescuing, redeeming. This is still his world, and these are still his wonders. He's still working powerfully in the midst of the time of tribulation. God is at work. And the angels want to know, well, when will these wonders end? Look at verse 7. I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be accomplished. This is a firm and a faithful word. Raising the hand was a a sign of giving an oath. You know, we have uh, the same practice today in the, the courtroom. You know, they ask you to raise your right hand, you know, put your other hand on the Bible, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We have the same kind of practice that happened in the Old Testament where men would lift up their hand and they would say, as the Lord lives, in order to give a solemn vow, a solemn oath, in order to, to, to say that what I'm telling you is the truth, as the Lord lives, this is the truth. We actually have a fascinating passage if you want to flip back to Deuteronomy where God is speaking and it says that God uses the same convention of men. Look at uh, Deuteronomy 32. Flip back to Deuteronomy 32 and drop down to verse 39. And this is, this is the Lord speaking. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 39 He says here, see now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded. It is I who heal. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. God doesn't have anybody hired to swear by, so who does he swear by? He swears by himself. (laughs) Hebrews 6, 13 says, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And here we have another instance of this where the one hovering above the waters raises his hand towards heaven and he swears by him who lives forever. And it specifically says that he raises his right hand and his left. I mean, why? Why two hands? I mean, normally it's only one hand that you would raise. But here the pre-incarnate Christ lifts up both hands in order to show you how firm this promise is. You know, men would lift up one. I'm lifting up both hands to show you how firm this is. I'm telling you the truth. What I'm telling you is doubly secure. And then there's two angels here who are witnesses of everything that I'm saying. This is doubly secure. And what is this promise? Verse 7, that it would be for time, times, and half a time. There's going to come an end. And it's going to happen in time, time, and half a time. And there's a specific time frame that's given and a specific purpose the end of verse 7 says as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people all these events will be completed first of all the the period of distress would last for a time times and half a time and we've seen this language before back in uh, Daniel chapter 7 where we learned about the antichrist who's called there the little horn in Daniel chapter 7 in verse 25 it says he will speak out against the most high wear down the saints of the highest one He will intend to make alterations in times and law, and they will be given into his hand for how long? For time, times, and half a time. The word time was a synonym for a full calendar cycle, for a full year. If you remember back in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25, when 
Nebuchadnezzar was told that he would be drenched with the dew of heaven for seven times. Now, that's talking about a cycle of seven years. You're going to be out there in the field for seven years. But it spoke about that period as a, a time, seven times. A period of seven years or seven cycles of time on the calendar. So when Daniel refers to time, he's referring to a calendar year. When Daniel refers to times, he's talking about it in the plural or what could be referred to as a dual number. So he's talking about two, time one, times being two. And then he says half a time, which is a half a year. So when he says time, times, half a time, one plus two plus a half, it's three and a half. Three and a half, that's what we're talking about. And that is consistent, a consistent period of time that's given all throughout the scriptures as the time period of the terror of the Antichrist. Three and a half years. Really quick, uh, flip over to the, the book of, of Revelation just to, to show you that the, the consistency of this. And, and again, it's, it's just amazing how consistent the scriptures are on, on this point. Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 13. Revelation 12, 13. It says, And when the dragon, and that's a reference to Satan, saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman, and that's a reference to Israel, who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished. Nourished for what? For how long? A time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. This is talking about that protection that Israel would receive during this time. It's talking about that same period of time. Flip over to Revelation chapter 13. Just look across the page there. Revelation 13 and verse 5. Because this is just, it just continues. Revelation 13 and verse 5. Look at this description. Verse 5. It says, There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. Again, we're talking about the Antichrist. 42 months. And how long is that? 12 plus 12 plus 12 plus a half, right? What is that? It's, we're talking about the same period of time. It's three and a half years. 42 months. Gets more specific. You can't make this up. Three and a half years. And if that's not enough for you, flip over to chapter 12. Chapter 12. Look at chapter 12 and verse 6. It says there in verse 6 that then the woman, speaking of Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. Again, the protection by God. So that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And just in case you're wondering, <laughs> 1,260 days, if you divide that by the Jewish calendar year of 360 days, guess what you come up with? Three and a half years. I mean, everywhere you can slice it, three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. I mean, and the people who say that we really don't know what this means. Give me a break. <laughs> Give me a break. We know what this means. There's a lot of stuff that we don't know what it means. This is not one of them. This is just not one of them. I mean, I've read commentaries where they say, you know, uh, uh, Daniel didn't really mean literal days. It's like, what are you talking about? What, what in the world are you talking about? Like I said, there's a knot that we might not be able to understand, but this is not one of them. You could set your day timer by this. You could, this is more accurate than your Google Calendar. I mean, your Google Calendar can fail. This won't, all right? From the moment that the Antichrist declares himself to be God in the temple of God, gentlemen, start your engines. You can count it down. 
It's going to happen, and we have the Son of God lifting up both hands to say, I'm telling you the truth, okay? I'm telling you the truth by him who lives forever. And what else is going to happen during this period of time? Back to Daniel chapter 12, back to Daniel chapter 12. We learn it's going to be for time, time, and half a time. But there's something else that the Son of God says. In verse 7, he says, And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. The nation of Israel is going to be completely shattered. And whatever power they have left is going to be destroyed. And that's when the tribulation is going to come to its end. That's, that's the time. As soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people. And just as a footnote, I don't hear too many people who say that the church is Israel claiming that the power of the church is going to be shattered. It's not talking about the church. This is talking about national Israel during the period of tribulation. And during this time, the entire world is going to gather itself against the nation of Israel, against Jerusalem, trample Jerusalem underfoot. Revelation 11 and verse 2, it says, they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 3 says, it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. The world's going to get tired of Israel and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Zechariah 14 and verse 2, it says, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, the half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. It's going to be a full-scale attack against Israel, and at the tip of the spear is going to be the Antichrist. Attacking Jerusalem, pouring out the hottest hell that he can against the people of God. It's going to be a bloodbath. Zechariah 13.8 says, It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish. Two-thirds of all the Jewish people will die. That's what's going to happen during this time. Two-thirds of the world's population of Jewish people will die. And just as it seems like all hope is lost, remember what happens? Zechariah 14.3 says, Then the Lord will go forth <laughs> and fight against those nations when he fights on a day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Jesus Christ is going to show up. Jesus Christ is going to show up. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Then that lawless one, speaking about the Antichrist, who will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. All the Lord has to do is open his mouth and he's disintegrated. Slay him with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. He just shows up, open his mouth, and it's gone. It's not even going to be a contest. The Lord will put an end to the reign of terror of the Antichrist, but it's only after the children of Israel finally come to an end of themselves. They have to reach the end. Why do we need this period of tribulation? Why is this great tribulation going to happen? What's going to happen during this time? The great tribulation is going to bring Israel to its knees until they finally look up and see the Lord. And this is all a part of what God is designing for their salvation. Listen to this. God will shatter you in order to save you. God will shatter you in order to save you. 
We saw it in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, didn't we? King Nebuchadnezzar spent seven years mowing the lawn like an ox. Why? Because that's what would eventually lead him to his salvation. Daniel chapter 4 verse 34 says, At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. But he had to be brought to his knees, literally brought to his knees, facing the grass. Had to be shattered, his power had to be shattered before he would finally look up. The Apostle Paul had to literally get knocked off of his high horse before he would finally turn his eyes up to the Lord. Literally had to be knocked off of his high horse, face planted in the dust, blinded, before he would finally say, Lord, who are you? Right? His power had to be shattered before he would be saved. The Philippian jailer, he had to be rocked by an earthquake. An earthquake had to to rock his cell, let out all the prisoners, before he finally cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He was brought to, to the point of suicide, about to take his own life, before he finally cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had to be shaken. He had to be shattered before he could be saved. And the question is, is what is it going to take for you? What what is it going to take for you? What will it take for you before you look on the one whom you've pierced? What will it take for you before you mourn over him? What will it take for you before you finally look up to Jesus Christ? And we've heard the testimonies of some of you. For some of you, it took God removing your health. It took God removing your job. It took God removing your spouse. It took God removing your child. For some of you, you came to the point of almost losing your life, to the brink of losing your life before you finally looked up because God had to shake you, shatter you before he would save you. The thief on the cross didn't turn to Christ until he was literally nailed down. And for some of you, it might take that. And for Israel, it took three and a half years of the terror of the Antichrist before Israel would finally look up. God has to shatter people, shake people. Their power has to be shattered, but it's only after that, God says, it's when it comes to that, when that's completed, then they'll look up and that's when it'll come to an end. But I've got a work to do. I've got some shaking to do. I've got some shattering to do because this is how they're going to come to salvation. When will it end? It's going to end after time, times, and half a time. And it's going to end after Israel is completely shattered. But what's going to come of all of this? What are the results of these things? How, how will this all end? Look at verse 8. Verse 8, as for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? What's going to be the outcome of these events? What are the results of this, Lord? How's all this going to end? Verse 9, he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Daniel wants some more information, doesn't he? (laughs) Like, Lord, can you tell me a little bit more? I mean, 12 chapters just isn't enough of Daniel. And I would agree, 12 chapters just is not enough of Daniel. You know, there's going to be a congregation, Lord, in the future that's going to want a little bit more of Daniel. Like, can you just, like, extend this a little more? But what what do we read? What do we read here? Go your way. Go, Go your way, Daniel. Literally, the Hebrew just says go. 
get. <laughs> like, like enough, move on. There are aspects of this vision that were beyond the scope of Daniel's project, okay? It's like when, when Peter received the prophetic word about his life. Do you remember that? Over in uh, John chapter 21, you know, Peter receives a word about himself and Jesus says, truly, truly, I say, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Then Peter, having heard the message for himself, he starts looking around and, well, how about him? <laughs> what, what's, what's the message for that guy? And what, is, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, if, if I want him to remain until you come, what is that to you? Follow me. You don't, you don't need to get that information. That information is not for you. You've received enough. And basically, Daniel is receiving like the same message. You know, what, what is that to you? You're, you're not going to get any more. You just follow me. You just do what I've told you to do. You're not going to get more information, Daniel. Now you need to seal up these words until the end of time. You know, your book's coming to a close. And as we've pointed out before, sealing up the book doesn't mean that he would stick keep it a secret. I mean, if, if Daniel was supposed to keep the book of Daniel secret, uh, don't share any secrets with Daniel because he's going to tell everybody, right? You know, it's not keep it secret. Don't let anybody know what I'm telling you here. No, it's like, no, it's coming to a close. Your, your, your book's coming to a close. A sealed text was not to be tampered with. It wasn't to be changed. It wasn't to be added to. The original document was to be kept in a safe place where it could be preserved. He's saying, seal it up, store it away, Reserve it, preserve it. It was a way to let Daniel know, like, hey, we're, we're, we're done here. It's time to put down the pen. I, I know you don't understand it all right now, but it's okay. There's going to be a future generation that's going to understand more. And when Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, people understood more. And when the Apostle John received the book of Revelation, people understood more. And in the end time, the time of the tribulation, people will pick these up again, pick up the book of Daniel, the gospel of Matthew, the book of Revelation, and they'll understand even more. But as far as Daniel was concerned, it's like, hey, Daniel, you've you've got all that you need to know right now. It only gets clearer the closer that we get. And one day, those future tribulation saints will be able to tell their story of how they've overcome and they'll understand it better by and by, right? They'll understand it better. They'll understand it better than we do. But Daniel has been told, you've got enough. You've got all that you need to know. But Daniel's not left completely in the dark. There's some general purposes for the tribulation that are revealed to Daniel. And Daniel gets five of them, okay? We'll try to make this quick. Five general outcomes of the tribulation. Purging, purifying, refining, understanding, and blessing. Look at verse 10. Many will be purged. Many will be purged. Many, not all. Many will be purged. And the many of Daniel becomes the all of Paul because it's the all that are left. And the word for purge here uh, means to, to make a selection, to make a choice. It's the idea of purifying by removing. You know, if you purge your closet or you purge your garage... You're getting rid of all the unnecessary items. It's all the stuff that you haven't used in years, and let's be honest, you're not going to use it, right? You're purging it. You're getting rid of it. And the same idea is present here, that through the tribulation period, there are people that are going to be purged, removed, unnecessary, purged out. And two-thirds of the unbelieving Jewish 
population will be removed and cut off from the earth along with other Gentiles. And the only Jewish people that will be left behind will be those that bow the knee to the Messiah. Zechariah 13 verse 8 says, It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, the two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. A third will remain. And a root of this same word is used in Ezekiel 20 and verse 38, where God says, I will purge from you the rebels, those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. The Lord is going to do a purging work, a removal, removing those that are unbelieving and rebellious. Many will be purged. Number two, many will be purified. The ESV, ESV says to make white, to make themselves white. And adds this kind of reflect, reflexive idea, you know, making myself white or making themselves white. But the point here is that the cleansing that takes place in those who are left, and the only way they can be cleansed is by coming to the Lord. That's how you get cleansed, right? Same root is used over in Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18 where it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool, and the remnant that is left will be purified. They'll return to the Lord and find cleansing. And that cleansing can only come from him. You know, the leopard can't change his spots. The Ethiopian can't change his skin. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says, It's the Lord who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people. The Lord has to purify us. And this is what the Lord will do. Many will be purged. Many will be purified. And many will be refined. Refined. It's a word that describes the, the, the process of refining a metal. It's, it's through the fire of tribulation, the fire of this distress, of these end times that causes these believers to shine brightly. One, one commentator says the refining process, which improves the quality of gold and silver, at the same time separates out the dross. That is the wicked. In other words, when the, the heat is turned up, you can start to see like who's genuine and who's fake, right? When the heat gets turned up. And that, that's happening even in our own day, isn't it? You know, the, the pressures of the culture are getting hotter and hotter. The culture around us, it's starting to become a little clearer who's really a believer and who's not. Who's standing and who's caving in. It's the, the pressure of persecution, tribulation that reveals who's genuine. You know, maybe you could blend in before, but... But you sort of stick out now, don't you? Sort of stick out now. You might as well identify yourself. And it's the persecution and tribulation that does it. Just like Nebuchadnezzar's statue, when he told everybody to bow the knee, revealed who are the ones who are genuine. Who are the ones who aren't going to bow? Now all of a sudden you know who the believers are. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and there you go, right? Now we know who you are because the, the pressure of tribulation revealed that. And in the same way, there's going to be an end time mark of the beast, another call for everybody to bow, give their allegiance to the Antichrist. There's going to be another call. You know, when you hear the the sound of the flute and the trumpet, everybody bow, everybody bow to me, and there's going to be a couple people who stick out because they will refuse to bow. This is what's going on during this time, and the fire of tribulation causes these believers to make themselves evident. The fire of tribulation causes them to shine with a a supernatural polish. And they shine even more brilliantly during this day. In Zechariah 13 and verse 9 it says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, 
Test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. They're my people, go. They're, they're, they're the ones who aren't bowing. They're my people. They are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. They'll be purged, purified, refined. Number four, they'll be enlightened. They'll gain understanding. Look at verse 10. It says, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. There's going to be an increased understanding of the righteous during this day. Like I said, the, the book of, of Daniel is going to be a, a current event during this time. It's like watching the six o'clock news, reading the book of Daniel. You're just seeing it all play out right before you. And for them, passages like Matthew 24, Revelation 6 to 19 is going to be like IMAX theater. I mean, just in full display, vivid color. I mean, we're living it. They're going to understand more during this day. Knowledge will increase during this time. Many will be purged. Many will be purified. Many will be refined. Many will be enlightened. And many will be blessed. Many will be blessed. Look at verse 11. It says, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days and one in the world. Does that mean, you know, just when I thought I could put my calculator away, right? You know, here you come with some more numbers. I mean, what is this all about? I thought we were done with these numbers back in like chapter 9. You know, here they come back. You know, don't, don't worry, you don't have to pull out your calculator, all right? We already know that the tribulation period ends 1,260 days after the abomination of desolation. That, that's solid, okay? There's nothing we have to add to that, all right? We, we already know that. It's repeated numerous times in Scripture, the book of Revelation. So the question is, why is there an extra 30 days? You know, the 1,290. And then why is there an extra 45 days after that? And the answer is that it has to cover what comes after the period of tribulation. Something that ha happens after that time. And what is it that happens after the tribulation? According to Matthew 25, we know that there's going to be a judgment. There's a separation of the sheep and the goats of all who are left. There's going to be an allotment of the kingdom to those who enter into the kingdom. And apparently that's what this is. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So there's going to be this, this time of separation and allotment, and we can't be dogmatic on where these fall, but we don't have to be dogmatic because those who need to know it will know it when they need to know it, <laughs> right? We, we don't have to know everything that's going to happen during this time, but we do know that it's after the period of tribulation. There's some kind of separation, some kind of allotment that happens after the period of tribulation. But what we can say for sure is that these numbers are not symbolic. And I've read some commentaries where uh, you just scratch your head and wonder, like, what, like, what happened here? You know, you know one commentary says, uh, the position which alone appears to be tenable is that these numbers are symbolic. But symbolic of what? Nobody knows. Another commentary said, uh, the numbers may have some symbolic significance now lost to us. Basically, they're saying, we, don't, we, we, we just know, they've got to be symbolic. We just don't know what they're symbolic of. But they're symbols. For what? I mean, why not just allow the text to say what it says? Right? Uh, one of my professors used to say, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. 
Like, like, why am I stretching for something else when the plain sense makes sense? You know, 1260 or 1290, all right, that makes sense to me. It's an extra 30 days. Oh, 1300, 35, yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's a number that makes sense. Why seek another sense for it? You don't have to figure it all out exactly now because, again, this is for a future time and knowledge will increase, okay? So the people during this time will understand what these numbers signify. But the main point is that those who make it through this time will be blessed. Those who make it through this time will be blessed. There's going to be a future reward for these people on that day. There's going to be an allotment. There's going to be a blessing that pours out on those who enter into this kingdom. But sadly, everybody doesn't enter into this joy. Sadly, everybody doesn't enter into this joy. There's going to be another group of people who will go through the same period of tribulation, but it will make no positive impact on their lives. They will not be purged. They will not be purified. They will not be refined. They will not be enlightened. They won't won't be rewarded. They won't be blessed. Even though they'll live during the same time, they'll gain no understanding from it. Rather than their hearts becoming softened by the terrors of the tribulation, their hearts only become more hard. And who is that? That's the wicked. Look again at verse 10. It says, many will be purged, purified, refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand. And you wonder, why why don't these people get it? Why don't they get it? I mean, won't people be able to see that the Antichrist is the devil incarnate? Why would anybody follow him? Won't it be obvious when he demands the worship of the world that that this this is the prince of darkness? How do they give their allegiance to the beast? And how do they go through all the terrors that are going to come upon the earth without crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, have mercy on me. But what you find is that the terrors of hell are not enough to scare the wicked into the kingdom of heaven. Even the terrors of hell are not going to be enough. And just like we've heard the stories of people who come to faith after losing their health and their job and their spouse and their child, or they come to the edge of death, and then they finally cry out, I mean, and many of you right here, Lord, have mercy. We also hear stories of people who experience the same thing, same exact thing that you've experienced, and they still reject God. Actually, it makes them even hate God more. I remember there was a a guy I used to work with, he lost his sister, and he says, ever since that time, I've hated God. It, it didn't soften him. It didn't make him cry out to the Lord to say, God, have mercy. No, it, it caused him to hate God. He hated God. Many people will go through the terrors of the tribulation, and it will only harden their hearts against the Lord of glory. And you just wonder, how can you be so unbelieving? Remember the thief on the cross? He turned to his partner. And he says, do you not even fear God? <laughs> Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, don't, you're about to meet your creator. Don't you have any sense of fear? You're going to cross over into eternity with blasphemy on your mouth? Don't you have a fear for God? Aren't you afraid of what's to come? 
Here we are on the brink of death and you're cursing the only one who can help you. What else needs to happen to you in order for you to turn around? Isaiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, where will you be stricken again? Like what, what else can I do? Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, raw wounds, not pressed out, not bandaged, not softened with oil. Like where else can I strike you to let you know to take me seriously? Like there's nothing left. And the sad news is that for some, it doesn't matter what you do. They're going to remain as they were. As they were. And we can plead and we can beg and we can warn and we can mourn. But the wicked will act wickedly. And even after the scorching fires of the tribulation, they can't be changed. I will not be moved. Revelation 22 verse 11 says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. They're not going to change. Not going to change. Many will be purged. Many will be purified, refined, enlightened, blessed. But there's many who will be polluted. Many who will be defiled, corrupted, darkened, cursed. And that's how it ends, Daniel. That's how it's going to end. There's the many who will be changed and the many who won't. That's what's going to happen after this tribulation. But I want to tell you that it doesn't have to be you today. You don't have to remain unchanged. If, if you're here today, why don't, why don't you listen to the voice of God? Why don't, you, why don't you hear him today? While it's still the day of salvation. While you still have an opportunity. While, while the, the gospel is still being preached, won't you turn to Jesus Christ today? Why don't you come to him and find life? Come to him that you might have rest. Turn away from your sins. Why would you hold on to your sins and lose your soul? Why not come to Jesus Christ today? The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin, the only perfect one who came to this earth, the, the, the perfect sinless son of God came to this wretched earth that rejected him, that despised him. And he lived the perfect life, the life that we could not live. And when he died on the cross, he died as a substitute for all who would believe and trust in him. And all you have to do is turn. All you have to do is look. Turn to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's not requiring of you any good works. There's nothing good that you can do. Even the best works that you have are like filthy rags in the sight of God. The best of your righteousness is filthy rags. He's not looking for your works. He's looking for you to abandon yourself and turn to Jesus Christ. Why don't you turn to Jesus Christ today? What else has to happen to you before you finally wake up and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I'm frail. My life is like a vapor. I'm here today, gone tomorrow. How many more people around you have to die before you finally say, you know what? I might be next. There's coming a time for everyone. There's a time, there's an appointment that we're all going to keep, right? It's appointed unto men once to die and after death, the judgment. You are heading to judgment. But you can stand before the Lord not having any condemnation. You can stand before the Lord in the perfect 
sinless righteousness of his son. Why don't you come to Christ today? Judgment is coming. Judgment is on the way. Turn to Jesus today and find life. Find life in Christ. What else has to happen before you finally wake up? And the final question is what we're ending with. What is, what is Daniel's end? You know, we've looked at, you know, when will it end and how will it end? Well, how about Daniel? What about him? Look at verse 13. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel wasn't going to live long enough to see the fulfillment of his own prophecies. <laughs> and these prayers that Daniel's been praying and he's been mourning over the nation of Israel, he wouldn't live long enough to see these prayers answered. And you know what? There's some of you who won't live long enough to see your prayers answered. Maybe you're in a position where you find yourself being attacked. And you'll never outlive those accusations. You just won't. You won't outlive your accusers. Maybe you'll carry a falsified report of you to your grave. Never gets cleared. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe the sickness that you have does take you out. The medical community never finds the answer that they're looking for. Maybe you won't live long enough to know what will happen to your loved one that you've been praying for. And we, we beg and we plead that the Lord would save your spouse, your child, your grandparent, your sibling, your grandchild. You won't live long enough to know whether or not those prayers were answered. Or maybe they might not live long enough to let you know that your prayers were answered. They might go to their grave without you knowing what their final condition is. You, you don't know. Or maybe you've, you'll never be relieved of the burden for the people of God who've been distracted by temptation and discouraged by oppression and frustrated in their work and persecuted by the enemy. And you won't live long enough to see your prayers answered for people that are near to your heart. Maybe you never get the answers that you're looking for. You never get those answers. But my question is, does that stop you from doing what you're supposed to do? Because you don't get those answers? What advice does Daniel receive? Go your way. Go your way to the end. You have to keep it moving, Daniel. <laughs> you got to keep moving. You, you can't let what you don't know paralyze you. Don't, don't let the unknown paralyze you. Don't get stuck here. Don't keep turning this over in your mind. You got to get up and go. Go your way. And I'm fearful for some of you that you're getting stuck. Like, like you need to keep moving. Even without all of your questions answered, you need to keep moving. Some of your questions will never get answered. But is that going to stop you? Daniel was called to still be faithful. Keep praying, keep sharing the truth, keep living a sanctified life, and just keep doing that until you reach the end. And what's the end? The end is the day you die. Just be faithful till the end. And then you will enter into your rest. Life for the believer is tough, but the retirement plan is out of this world, right? <laughs> retirement plan is out of this world. Literally. Then you will rest. Then you will rest. But that's not the end. Look at this, verse 13. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, you know these people in this land and all that you've been praying for? Don't worry, you're coming back for your allotted portion at the end of the age. And there's going to be a renewed earth 
and you'll have a resurrected body and you'll rise again to receive your allotted portion. That's the same language that's used of the the children of Israel receiving their allotted portion as they enter into the land. Uh, Numbers 26, 55, but the land shall be divided by lot. They shall receive their inheritance according to their names, the names of the tribes of their fathers. You're going to rise and receive your appointed plot, your allotment. You're going to rise and receive it. The land was your allotted portion. It's going to be given to you. And Daniel, even though right now you're pushing 90, you're never going to get back to Jerusalem. Don't worry about it because you're going to rise again and you'll enter. You'll enter. Daniel would die in Babylon, but he would rise again in the glorified body in the Holy Land. (laughs) That was his promise. You're going to rise and receive your allotment. In the same way that believers today can expect to receive a future reward. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, Ephesians 1 speaks about. We have a future inheritance and a reward. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And 2 John 1 verse 8 says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. There's a reward coming on the other end. There's a reward. So keep praying. Keep sharing. Keep living a sanctified life. Keep doing what you know to be right. Don't get stuck. You got to get up and go. And Daniel has so much to teach us, doesn't he? This is such a, I mean, prophecy is practical, okay, guys? This is practical teaching. I mean, I would not mind a longer version of the book of Daniel. You know, the expanded, revised version of the book of Daniel. I would not mind that right now. I mean, there's so much that we've learned from this. But before we leave, just a few points of application, all right? Daniel had to put his pen down, and I've got to cut my sermon off sometime, right? So here we go. Just a few points of application, all right? Number one, it is not God's design for us to have all the information about the future. It's not God's design. But what he has given us is enough for us to be faithful. John 21, 22, Jesus says, If it is my will that he remains speaking about John until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. You know enough to follow me. You don't need all the information about the future, but you have enough to follow me. God is not going to give us all the details in his playbook. He's not going to give it to us, okay? All we need to know is what is my role, coach? What do I have to do? What's the play? You know, what am I supposed to do? And what does he say? He says, follow me. Occupy till I come. You've got a job to do. You do your job. Don't worry about everything else. Just do what I've called you to do. Number two, God is faithful to keep his word even in a world that is shattered. The tribulation will be the worst period of all time in all of human history, but God will still be faithful to uphold his covenant promise to the Jewish people. And God will leave himself a a remnant to show his kindness to Remember when uh, Saul's household was wiped out and David took the throne? And then in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 3, he says, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? Is there still not a son of Jonathan? You know, and they, they found a son of Jonathan, even though he was crippled, for David to show kindness to the remnant, to those who were left. And God is going to leave himself a remnant to show kindness to after this period of tribulation. There's going to be a remnant to show kindness to. My professor, uh, Will Varner, he said, every time the world seeks to wipe out the Jewish people, the Jewish people just get another holiday. (laughs) 
the persecution, the persecution in Egypt led to the Passover. The destruction in Persia by Haman led to the Feast of Purim. Even the German Holocaust eventually gave way to the Jewish independence. Every, every time they try to wipe out the Jewish people, they just get another holiday out of it. Because God is going to be faithful to his promise. There's always going to be a remnant for God to show kindness to. And after this future destruction of the Antichrist, it's going to end in a glorious resurrection. Just real quick, flip over to Romans chapter 11, verse 15. You might think about this differently when you see this. Romans chapter 11 and verse 15. There's always going to be a remnant to show kindness to. And after this time of tribulation, what's going to happen to the Jewish people? Romans 11 verse 15. It says, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Do you know what happens to the Jewish people after this period of tribulation? There's going to be those who rise from the dead to enter into this millennial kingdom. What will their acceptance be but a resurrection from the dead? When the Jewish people are received, when they finally come in, when they finally bow the knee, what's going to be the end of that? It's going to be a resurrection from the dead. It's exactly what Daniel talks about. You will rise again to receive your allotted portion at the end of the age. That's what's going to happen. The future Holocaust is going to end in a resurrection from the dead for the Jewish people. That's what's going to happen because God is faithful to his promise. Last point, you can rest easy if you work faithfully. You can rest easy if you work faithfully. God told Daniel that you've got a job to do. Go your way. You need to be faithful, Daniel. Don't worry about everything that you don't know. You just do what you're supposed to do. And the Bible calls us to work faithfully. And if we work faithfully, we're going to rest easy. You're going to enter into your rest. Some of you may know the name John Gresham Machen. He was a Presbyterian theologian in the early 1900s. He was known for defending fundamentalism against the trends of liberalism during his day. He's actually born in Baltimore and his grave is in Baltimore, Greenmount Cemetery. I've actually been to the, to the gravesite. It's a, a tomb that's raised over the ground and on the side of that tomb, there's a Greek phrase, pistos archithanatos. Pistos archithanatos. What does it mean? Faithful until death. <laughs> and my question for you is, could the same thing be written over your tombstone? He was faithful until death. He followed the Lord. He went his way until the end and entered into his rest. Faithful until death. And that's what God calls us to be, amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for this time that we've had together. We thank you for the book of, of Daniel, Lord. We've learned so much from this book. It's been a tremendous study. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would use these truths in our lives, that you would uh, deepen us in our commitment to you. And Father, that uh, you would help those of, of us who are here who may not know Jesus Christ, Lord, that today would be the day that That you wouldn't have to allow the, the terrors to, to fall upon anyone before they finally cry out, what must I do to be saved? My Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And Father, that you would help us, Lord, even without all the information. We don't have all the, the details, all the particulars. We don't know how everything will end in our lives, whether it be a personal trial, 
the trial of someone who's close to us. We don't know how it'll all end. But Father, you've called us to go our way, to be faithful, faithful until death, and to just do what you've called us to do. So Father, I pray that that would be true of us. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen.